Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my Lit Yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Lara podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects in the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask questions and I answer. So let's get going. First question. This is from Lid Willie. Do you think as women age, we need to add weights to our exercise regimen? Well, I'm glad you're bringing this up because I turned 50 this year and I have an amazing, amazing integrative doctor, functional medicine, who looks at just the full spectrum of of health. And we're kind of biohacking my body, just like a lot of people should be doing, and um, and looking at all of the minerals. And I did a bone density scan. I did a cardiac calcium test, I think it's called, which is a, a great test for giving insight into whether or not you will have more a, high, a higher risk of having a, any kind of cardiac disease. And my risk was 0%, which was really cool. But apparently it's a very, I mean, I think that the test is like $80 or something. If you just pay out of pocket, you don't even put it through the insurance. But a lot of doctors do not even know about it or if they don't necessarily um, write a prescription for it. But it's, it's uh, I think, something that everyone should do because it gives you insight into some maybe genetics or predispositions that you might not even know about, including diet. The second thing I did was the bone density scan. I What we talked about is that, yes, women might need to and probably should add some weights as they age, especially after going through menopause. Because the thing about menopause that um, can be not damaging, but not great for women is that the hormones have many, many different roles. It's not just about fertility. And one of the roles is they help with uh, building bone. 
and they help with the bone matrix. And so when you don't have the balanced hormones, and that's a conversation for another day, I I think there's a lot of very, very scary literature out there that is not actually, I should say literature, scary tactics that about hormones and biohormonal, yeah, the the biohormones that are identical and taking those and what it might do to your body. But there's a lot of evidence that having a good hormone replacement in a natural form is very beneficial for that, for the bone matrix. So why is adding weights possibly better at this point? Well, as you as you age, you're especially as a woman, you're going to be losing bone and you're not building it as quickly as you're losing it at a certain point. And then you add the hormone component to it and these hormones, the interplay of them helps build bone. And then it can get even more um, startling in terms of losing bone matrix. So weight, putting weight through the body, through the bone matrix calls upon, it's another way of calling upon some of these stem cells and other uh, you know, physiological factors that are happening to come in and build more bone. Um, so there's increased demand on a muscle, increased demand on a bone, and then it, things are summoned to come in and support the matrix of the bone of the muscle. And that's how you build muscle and bone. So it has been shown that built, that adding weights, but I don't think it's as simple as like picking up weights and like doing bicep curls. I think you can use your body weight. And as so I'm using my body weight right now, that doesn't mean I'll never add weights to my routine, but I think doing squats with, you know, uh, dumbbells or something like that, kettlebells are great really wonderful because you're getting more demand, more stress. It's a good stress placed on the bone matrix. And that needs to go up through the legs. And then you have the weights in your hands. You're getting it through the arms as well. And hopefully some of that um, impact is going right into the spine, which is really where this, you know, the spine and the hips are the areas that are more um, prevalent to have bone loss and osteopenia and osteoporosis. So yeah, I think that weights are a great idea, but they should be done in a very intentional way, like in a functional way. And I think when you're doing closed chain activity, or if you're hanging from a, a bar, that's not closed chain per se, you're hanging, but you're building muscle, you're, you're stressing the muscle and you might also have, that might have some impact on the pull on the bone. So closed chain is again, when you're having your weight through the ground by standing. So doing squats, withholding some kind of you could even have an you know some bar overhead but i really like the idea of the the kettlebells are great and so i i think yes there's there's the answer <laughs> okay uh sandra musk asks your thoughts on barefoot shoes and have we evolved to heel strike because of the cushioned footwear we wear well my brother has talked about this a lot in some of the other podcasts that you might have listened to so i would go and listen to any podcast i have with john frank cuz he's just brilliant on this so I think, yes, there's lots of ways we have evolved that or devolved, whatever way you want to think about it, in our terms of our gait once we put cushioned shoes on. So thoughts on barefoot shoes. Well, I think barefoot shoes are an, a great idea, but you have to, if you've been having your foot in a, in a shoe for many, many years, you have to slowly introduce barefoot shoes in. The problem we saw years ago when barefoot shoes came into a rage, when they first came in, 
with the Born to Run book and all of that, is that people just went out and bought these barefoot shoes, uh, the Vibrams and the, all that, and then just boom, that's they went right into the barefoot shoes. And some people could handle it and some could not. And so they got, they actually set them up for in, injury. So it's like you've had your, you've had your, and this is a little bit exaggerated, but it's, it's as if you had your arm in a sling for a year <laughs> and then take it out of the sling because it's a better idea to get it moving, but it's weakened. You know, it's, it, those muscles have, have um, they've lost their, they, they've lost their strength. They've, they might've atrophied. And then you can't just put that um, hand down on the ground and expect the arm's going to hold you in the way it should. So something else like your neck might try and hold you. And so you set yourself up for, for some injuries. So you have to get into those barefoot shoes gradually. So I would first recommend like spending more time in your home barefoot and then taking a walk in barefoot shoes. I remember when I was, uh, I was actually still kind of, I wasn't running a lot, but I would do some running like with my kids. And I, my, my husband got barefoot shoes and got me some as well. And I remember the first time I did like a little jog, I was like, these are cool. But it was also like when I hit a root or something, I wasn't, I was, I wasn't prepared for that because my feet, it's not like I had gone walking out in the woods barefoot, you know, on roots and stuff. So there's a lot of parts of the barefoot shoes you have to be prepared for, but I think they're wonderful. It's just that you you have to know your foot and know how long you've been spending time in shoes. And I would err on the side of caution and 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 doing it slowly, slowly introducing being in barefoot more and more. So Gosha Peschel, I always mess up your name, sorry. Is it safe to build strength with push-ups in down dog on the wall? With the legs already up at a ninety-degree angle, well, is it safe? Uh, yeah, if you can, if you don't nosedive <laughs> to the ground, yeah. I mean, if you have a lot, of, if you have strength, and what I would do is start like with a little miniature elbow bend and see what that feels like. So you you test the responsiveness of your muscles to hold you. So you have to build the strength, you have to build the endurance, you have to build the core integration, and um, so I would start small for sure. But yeah, it's totally. Anything is safe if you do it uh, just like introducing the barefoot gradually. So start building a little bit and see also how that feels. Like some people might be feel like they can do it and then the next day their elbows hurt. Well, that might mean that you were not doing it with the best form. Like you, you might've been able to perform it or get it done, but it wasn't optimal. So I would say do fewer and then see how it feels like the next day. Where do you feel it? You want to feel it in the scapular muscles and in the core, not in the elbows. You'll feel it in the triceps as well, but not in the joints. So Galita Yoga asks, can I ask, one of my students um, has lower back pain in boat pose. Why is that? Well, boat pose, if you're not a yogi, you can still imagine this. Um, boat pose is, is a kind of traditional core burner in yoga classes. It's um, found in a lot of different yoga practices, but you're on, you're essentially on your butt and you would grab your knees with your hands. So you're kind of in a little ball there, but you're balancing on your butt. And then you straighten one knee at a time. And the idea is to form kind of a V, like you're in a higher boat. So you're in a V where your chest is upright and your legs are straight. And that requires a lot of balance coming from the stabilization of the core. The other thing it requires is a lot of openness in your back fascial line. So this is probably why your person 
Well, there's several reasons why, but this one one reason could be the person is coming into this pose, perhaps having been in a lot of anterior pelvic tilt, and then you're getting them in a, in a neutral pelvic tilt, which probably feels for them like a posterior pelvic tilt, and that pulls on that back fascia a lot. The other thing is if somebody has been living in an anterior pelvic tilt, they don't have deep, deep core muscles, and those are the ones we're trying to summon when you add this long lever arm of your legs. So it's a huge demand on the deep core muscles to stabilize the spine, keeping it neutral and to keep the hip flexed with the legs straight. Because those legs straight, what they're really doing is adding lever. They're adding demand and load. So I would say that the first thing is have the person bend the knees and see if it helps. And then the second thing is, if it still is hurting, there's no reason why somebody should suffer through that because they're not getting what they want out of it. Essentially, it's not like they're going to get stronger. They're just reinforcing the position that they were in before they got into boat. And that might've been an anterior tilt. And their their abdominals are just not ready for that. There's so many other uh, more optimal ways of strengthening the abdominals and reinforcing a better posture, more neutral spine. So that's why boat is kind of like, I don't do a lot of boat in public classes because it is, it's not that it's not a good pose. It's just, there's, I think, far superior ways of working the abdominals and reinforcing neutral pelvis and neutral spine. Because somebody could do, quote unquote, do boat, and it could be like, feel like crap because all they're really doing is holding themselves up by extending their back and not even get in, and and their hip flexors are on fire. Well, that's because they can't, they're not accessing the deep abdominal. So imagine the area between the two um, front pelvic points, that that area, the transverse abdominal is just pulling that straight back. That's not, they're not accessing that. They're probably not even using it at all. So that's, that's one of several reasons why the low back would be bothering them in both. All right, next question. Hot Yoga Dublin asked me, Hot Yoga Dublin, I was just there. Shoulders and handstands seems to be two common positions. Why? Which is better? So I'm not sure what she's referring to, but I think you're referring to the um, shoulder, the scapula, because we talked about this when I was there at Hot Yoga Dublin. Um, Some people teach coming up into handstands with a protracted scapula, meaning that kind of um, upper body looks rounded and come into handstand like that. And the way I was teaching it is with a neutral scapula. So why are they different? Well, I understand the body really, really well. And what I understand is we need our serratus anterior, which is the protractor of the scapula, to fire, to stabilize the scapula on the back ribs. Because that is like they're meeting and it's it's like the scapula becomes the foot that is resting on the rib cage, which is essentially like the ground, if you want to look at it that way. Or, or it's like the leg of the table comes up and inserts into the table. So that scaffolding, that, that ability to, to get the scapula on the rib cage and hold it there well is the job of the serratus anterior in a um, isometric way, in a stabilizing way. So it's not actively protracting the scapula, which is its concentric activation, it's holding it in a isometric way. 
So just like I was talking about in boat pose, the deep core abdominals would be isometrically or stabilizing, holding you up in your boat pose. Uh, we want we want them to be doing that. Um, we don't want the we don't want the movement of the hip, the hip flexors flexing to be the thing that holds you up. So similarly, I don't want my serratus to protract me to get up into handstand. You actually tend to, I think, kind of fight yourself when you do that versus leaning into bones because I'm leaning into my scapula and my rib cage and I'm leaning into my sternoclavicular joint in front to lift off into a handstand. When you do need to protract is when you're trying to pick up both feet at the same time and in the form of a press. But dare I say, I think that's the 1% who are handstanding that are going to work on the press. So I would rather work on the mechanics of a handstand without both legs coming up and then getting the press through the protraction of the scapula will happen, Um, but not the inverse. I, I really fundamentally believe that. I've just seen people struggle so much more with a protracted scapula position in trying to get in a handstand. And then they go into like scrunching up in the neck and all of that. You're, you, what I say is use the things that are there to help you, which is the stacking of the bones. It's not like they're stacking, but they're, they're meeting each other in a very stabilizing way. And when the scapula meets the rib cage in a neutral position, it is so stabilizing. So why do people teach it? I think because, honestly, I think a lot of males have learned this technique and they, there's a lot that goes into that, but their, their center of mass is different than females and their center of mass is more up at the chest. Ours is in our lower. So uh, that center of gravity, you know how, so their pivot point is different. They can really do that well. Our center mass is like in the pelvis and that's a lot harder for us to do. So I think they've done that through kind of I don't want to say brute strength, but in a way they've done that. And um, it doesn't mean that I don't, I teach males, females, I teach all of them like that. But what I'm seeing is male yoga teachers teach the protracted scapula. And then their kind of disciples or people that learn from them, female and male, continue to teach it that way. Um, I know this also because my my brother didn't teach me try to teach me that way, but um, I, I saw that he could kind of interchange those two very easily in ways that I didn't think um, women could do as, as much. But he would agree with me that going into, a, going into a handstand with a neutral scapula is a way better way of learning how to do it. So that's, you know, again, that's my opinion. But I think if you try and get up with protracted scapula, it is so much you're fighting a lot of tissue that gets in the way and you're fighting, you're not in your best biomechanical alignment, quite honestly, because you're not using the bone bone connecting or, or bone sitting on the bone with the scapula on the ribs in neutral. Final question here. Um, this is from T-Chi-Wee. <laughs> Can you talk more about heel pain, a long-term marathon runner experience, experiencing this? Heel pain is otherwise known as plantar fasciitis, most likely. So the heel pain, unless you have a bone bruise on your heel, the calcaneus, anytime you have, just by saying marathon runner, I know you're, you're hitting the ground a lot with your foot. And when you hit the ground a lot with your foot, 
and develop that kind of heel pain, what it's telling you is that your plantar fascia is, is restricted. It is not giving the return from the ground up through the body, but it's, it's kind of absorbing it. And over time it gets restricted and, and that you're, you're kind of stopping that flow of energy. So the first thing I get people to do is work on getting mobile in their foot um, and do these things I call the heel bops so that they're getting this plantar fascia pliability. Because imagine this kind of sheet, sheet of tissue that goes from the bottom of your foot by the toes, under the foot, at, you know, through the arches, and then across the heel and up into the calf. So that's the plantar fascia. And so the angle of it crossing over the heel and going up into the calf at the Achilles tendon point is is a vulnerable point of tension. And we want there there to be this beautiful exchange of energy and not a restriction of energy. So the first thing I would do is start working on that, lifting and lowering and doing pressing into the big toe mound so that you know that you're coming through that uh, this, that med head of the first toe is super important for the energy exchange into the fascia. Then you have to start looking at your form when you're running. And that's a much bigger conversation that you're going to need to go to some good professional about. But because for, if you're heel striking over and over again, you, you're shortening that plantar fascia and then you're loading it. And you, and you immediately, when you load from the heel, you've lost a lot of energy right from the, from the get-go because you don't have that um, big toe, that metatarsal push-off. Um, it's, it's more, you get it eventually, but you want to land more in the midfoot and rock up into the, the heel or rock into the heel a little bit. So you need to look at your gait mechanics. Uh, but the, just look at it this way. The heel pain is telling you your mechanics need to improve, your balance of the myofascia needs to improve, and perhaps you need to look at your footwear. That's the other thing. Which came first? I don't know, but look at all of those things. If you have too much cushion, you have you've dissipated that energy even more. And so the brunt of it is going to be felt in the foot and then going up into the calf. So get all of those things analyzed and make sure that you're also balancing out that activity with other things. It is not just that repetitive gait cycle, but that you're balancing out the movement patterns in a variety of ways. And that'll help create that balance around the foot, around the ankle and into the leg. So thank you for another awesome q and I, I love getting these questions from you. You can always write me at lara at movementbylara.com with your own questions or look for my Instagram page, lara.hyman, when I ask questions there, or you can message me there for these questions. Have a lovely day as always pulling for you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.